Today we're continuing our study through the book of Genesis. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 4. So, so far we've covered uh, the first three chapters in Genesis. And uh, today we're going to look at the story of Cain and Abel. And you may be familiar with it, but probably not as much. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are common, not just in church, but in in literature, in in the world, people have a, a basic understanding of what the Bible has to say in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. But Genesis 4, um, most have probably heard something of the story of Cain and Abel, uh, but have spent very little time really looking at what it has to say. And I want us to do that today. As we, as we look at this passage, I want to ask you a question. Do you lock your doors at night? You know, when it's about time for the, the evening to... Uh, to wind down, are you making sure that all the doors are locked? Um, I think in Skokie they have this um, motto, the police department, you know, at, at 9 o'clock make sure everything is locked. Uh, lock it, you know, and go around uh, to your car doors to make sure they're locked. And you say, why, why are you talking about that? Well, Genesis 4 uh, tells us why we have to lock our doors at night. It really explains for us. Because, you see, Genesis 2 was a world where you didn't have to lock your doors. Uh, Genesis 3, at the beginning, was, uh, was such a world. But Genesis 4 is the world that, that we live in today. Uh, we live in a Genesis 4 kind of world. Uh, a world where you have to lock your doors. You see, in Genesis 2, 3, and 4, it's really one story. It's broken up in chapters for us to be able to, to find our way through it. Uh, but but really, all of it's connected, all three of those chapters. And so, what I want you to think about is Genesis 2 tells us about the perfect beginning. The perfect beginning of humanity. Uh, Genesis 3 tells us about the tragic fall. How that we fell from this state of perfection and holiness, where which God created humanity in. And we fell from that by rebelling against God's word and taking of the forbidden fruit. And Genesis 4 tells us about the new normal. So the perfect beginning, Genesis 2, the tragic fall, Genesis 3, the new normal in Genesis 4. Now, I know a lot of people that are sick and tired of the phrase, the new normal. Uh, you know, because all through COVID, we've been hearing about what the new normal is, right? Whether that's masks and social distance, you know, just so many things are different from a year ago in February. In fact, I was um, every uh, uh, every day Facebook will bring up some memories from previous years that happened on this day. And uh, I saw a picture yesterday in my memories of me going to pick up the kids at school, uh, not knowing how the world would change in 30 days or or less. And so we've heard this idea of the new normal. Well, Genesis 4 has revealed to us the the way the world is now, but it's not the way that God originally designed it. We live in a world that is not like God first created it, but a world that has the effects of sin. So look with me at Genesis 4, beginning of verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought forth, brought of the fruit of the ground, an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. 
And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. It came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel, thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive the, thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth. From thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and unto Irad begot Mahujael, and Mahujael begat Methusael, and Methusael begat Lamech. And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the and Lamech took unto him two wives, and the name of one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. And Adah bare Jabel, and he was the father of such as dwell in tents, and such as of cattle. And unto his brother was named Jubel, and he was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said unto his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding, a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, seventy and sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife Eve again, knew his wife again. And she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth and to him also there is born a son, and called his name Enosh. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Genesis 4, the new normal. We live in a Genesis 4 world. We no longer live in the Garden of Eden, but outside of it, in which the new normal is rebellion against God and ruthlessness towards men. And so I want to look at seven things. Yeah, I said that right. Seven lessons that we learn from the life of Cain about rebellion against God and about ruthlessness against man. 
Let's pray and I'll share those seven lessons with you briefly today. Father, thank you for the privilege to be able to open your word. And Lord, it has been a difficult week. I feel unprepared to share this message. I pray that you'd help me as I share these truths from your word. I pray you'd use it to speak to our hearts and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Seven lessons from the life of Cain about rebellion against God and ruthlessness towards our fellow man. The first thing I want you to see is what's called what I call Cain's conception. And what we learn from that is that life is a gift from God. You see, Cain was the first child born into the world. Think about that. The very first child born. And in, in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, it says that, that Eve conceived and she gave birth to Cain. And she said this, the last part of verse 1, I have gotten, I have acquired a man from the Lord. You know, here is Eve acknowledging the fact that she would not have been able to give birth and to have this son without the strength and help of God. If you remember, part of Eve's punishment was, was the pain and sorrow that would surround giving birth. So she knew that the fact that she and her son had, had lived and the fact that she had, was able to hold this boy in her arms was by the help and provision of God. She recognized that he came from the Lord. And I want to remind you and I that every life, our lives, the lives of our children, the lives of those that we love, the lives of even those that are hard to love as we prayed about earlier, every life is a gift from God. And I think that's more of a struggle for us than perhaps in ancient times. Uh, part of the reason is because of the fact of modern technologies and advancements in modern technology. We have things like ultrasounds. We know what the size of the baby in the womb is at every different week. We understand various practices, uh, that what a, a woman can eat that would be healthy and so forth. And, and um, it's, it's, it's tempting for us to lose sight of the the mystery and the wonder of life being a gift from God. And even with our own modern technologies, we're often reminded of the fact that life is not something that human beings can just um, create of our own ability. That it truly is a, a gift from God. Secondly, I want you to see Cain's contribution. So Cain's conception, life's a gift from God. Secondly, Cain's contribution. And what I want you to learn here is that acceptable worship is first and foremost about the heart. Acceptable worship is about the heart. You see, both Cain and Abel bring an offering to the Lord. Abel's offering is accepted. Cain's is rejected. Now, this passage brings up several questions, many questions. A lot of those questions we can't answer. How do they know to bring an offering? How did they know that one offering was accepted and the other wasn't? We're not told exactly in what way God indicated that Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's wasn't. Was it common? Was this the first time they offer an offering to God, or is this something they've practiced regularly? We're not sure. But I think the most pressing question that this passage brings to our minds is this. Why was Abel's offering accepted and Cain's offering rejected? I think the answer seems to be uh, 
in the spirit and heart by which the offering was given. You see, Hebrews 11, chapter 4, gives a little bit of commentary on the story, some very helpful commentary. And it, Scripture tells us that Abel offered his sacrifice in faith and that God received it. We don't have anything said like that of Cain offering his in faith. And that seems to be what's implied as we look back at Genesis 4, where it says that, that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. In verse 4, Abel brought of the firstlings of the flock. There seems to be a, a slight implication here that, that Abel brings the first, the, the choicest of his flock, whereas Cain just brings some of his fruit to the Lord. And I, I want to be quick to say, I don't think it means here that God accepted Abel's offering because he brought the flock, and God rejected Cain's because he brought fruit, and God wanted some kind of a, a blood sacrifice, as we find later in the Old Testament. I, I don't think that's what's happening here. I, don't, I think that would have been clearly stated, if that's the reason why. And I think there are other hints that indicate that that's not the case. But rather, I think that Abel's offering was accepted because it was offered in faith. And I think the fact that he gives of the first of his flock and of the, the fat or the best thereof, that's an expression of his faith. He's demonstrating his faith by giving his very best to God. It's coming from his heart. It's coming from an attitude and, and spirit of genuine worship to God. Whereas Cain's, well, Cain's is more of an obligation to fulfill. And, and what an important lesson for us. That God doesn't desire just merely for us to bring our our offerings of worship to Him out of obligation and duty without true hearts? I think this is what so much of, of man-centered religion doesn't understand. I, I go to Mass, I say my confessions, I, I say my prayers, I, I give a little money to this, I, I, I do my religious duty and somehow that puts God in our debt. That somehow gets us into God's good graces. And friends, that kind of thinking has missed the boat entirely. In fact, so much of the Old and New Testament is dealing with this issue that, that God just doesn't want this um, routine of, of worship for us to just uh, perform this, 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 this obligation, give something to Him, to so kind of get Him off our back. Friends, God is looking first at the offerer more than He's looking at the offering. And it's clear, I think, even from the passage, it says in verse 5, But unto Cain and his offering the Lord had no respect. So in other words, the offerer, Cain himself, is first the issue. And we'll find out more about that as we go along. So it reminds us that, friends, whether it's our giving, whether it's our, our whether we come and, and are singing, our, our reading of the scriptures, our our daily time in the Word and in prayer, all that we do for the Lord. Friends, we must fight this temptation to just check off a list of going through the motions of religious ritual. Rather, that it be from the heart. that We do these things as a true act of devotion and worship unto the Lord. That is acceptable worship. Cain's contribution wasn't accepted because it didn't come out of faith. It didn't come from his heart. Thirdly, I want you to see Cain's choice. 
What I mean by that is God was so patient to give opportunities for repentance. You see, verse 5, at the end of verse 5, Cain's angry. And he's dejected because God has rejected his offering. The Lord questions Cain, why are you so dejected? And he lovingly assures Cain that, that if you will do right, you see, this reminds us again that, that Cain himself is the issue. Evidently, Cain's life, the way he was living, his, his heart was, was not right in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord rejects his offering. But God says to him, if you do well, if you do right, if you live according to my ways, all of this helps to imply for us that, that Cain knew more than what we're reading about here. He, he, he understands that if he brings this offering to the Lord from a, from a true heart, it's going to be accepted. And that's what God says to him. He says, if you do right, won't you be accepted? But if not, sin is crouching like a lion at your door. And either you are going to master it, either you are going to rule over your sin by, by putting it aside, by, by refusing it, or you are going to be overcome by your sin. So Cain has a choice here. Cain has a choice to make. God has been patient with Cain. God is giving Cain another chance. God is not casting Cain aside immediately here. He's saying, no, Cain, if you will do right, if you will follow in my ways, you will do as your brother has done. You'll be accepted. But if not, you're going to experience the devastating consequences of sin. There's a choice here. He has a choice to respond in faith and obedience, or he can rebel against God and persist in his unbelief. But I want you to see how patient God is. And I wonder, what about your life? Do you see the evidence of God's patient dealing with you? I know I have. How patient and long-suffering God is with us. How many opportunities God gives us when we've turned away from His Word, when, when we've not obeyed and fulfilled His purposes for us. A patient and merciful God. So maybe you're in a crossroads where your life has not been lived according to God's ways and and God is at work in your heart showing you that if you'll follow in His path, if you'll put your trust in Christ and follow Him, He'll accept you on the basis of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a choice that is set before you. And I hope that you will see how patient, long-suffering God is. That you'll turn to Him. That you'll follow Christ in faith. Fourthly, I want you to see Cain's crime. And by that, I want you to see the principle is that when we reject God's warning, it leads to greater sin. Well, Cain got angry. And in verse 8, it tells us that at the first opportunity, he wasted no time. He gets alone with his brother in the field. He attacks and kills Abel, his brother. When God asked Cain, where's your brother? He infamous, infamously says, Am I my brother's keeper? And again, just as in the story with Adam, God's not asking Cain this question for information, but rather to expose 
the guilt. God says, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground against you. What's Cain do? He hardens his heart against God's rebuke. Now he's gone from offering an unacceptable sacrifice to God to now diving headfirst into sin and deep rebellion. I think the principle for us, friends, is that the more that we reject God's warnings, the more calloused the heart becomes. If we turn away from the gracious rebukes of God's word, we'll find ourselves going deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. And you see that with Cain and the way he responds to the rebukes of the Lord. He's turning further and further and further away till his heart is so calloused where he can kill his own brother. Number five, I want you to see Cain's curse. And the principle here in point number five is that a life of sin leads to restless wandering. A life of sin leads to restless wandering. Verse 11, And now thou art cursed from the earth. I want you to notice that this is the first time a human being has been cursed. This is important. In Genesis 3, Adam himself was not cursed per se, but the ground was cursed for his sake. But if you look at Genesis 3, the serpent is directly cursed. And then Adam and Eve experience the effects of the curse in the world. But never are they directly said said to be, Adam, you are cursed. Eve, you are cursed. But here Cain is said to be cursed from the earth. You are cursed from the earth. What is part of the punishment for Cain? Well, harvesting his fruit and crops. It's not going to be merely difficult for him as it was for Adam. For Adam, he would be able to to harvest the, the crops and fruit, but it would be difficult. But for Cain, the punishment is that he would till the ground, but it wouldn't yield fruit from it. And that this was going to lead for him to him having to flee from place to place to place. He was not going to be able to really settle in any particular place. And what does Cain say? He, well, he doesn't respond in humility and in repentance. But he really responds in defiant pride. My punishment is greater than I can bear. He shows no remorse for his sin or no remorse for his crime but only self-pity about the consequences that he's going to have to deal with. He's afraid others are going to take revenge upon him. So God mercifully places a mark on Cain, protecting him from harm. And verse 16 tells us that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. He went out from the presence of the Lord, restlessly wandering about. Because, friends, that's what sin does. Proverbs 13.15 tells us that the way of the transgressor is hard. That that sin leads to a a painful, difficult life. And Cain experiences that. For us, the lesson is that sin promises us pleasure, but it produces pain. 
It drives us away from all that truly is good in this life. It, it promises good. There was something in Cain that his, his jealousy, maybe seeing Abel, whatever it was, something in him that, that said, if I can just get rid of my brother, maybe I can silence this guilty conscience within me. He thought that would be the answer. All it did was drive him away from all that is good and joyful. It, it, it drives us away from those closest to us. Most of all, it, it drives us away from the Lord. A life of sin leads to restless wandering. Have you experienced that? Maybe someone that you know that because of the lifestyle of sin that they've embraced, they've put themselves on a path never truly being fulfilled. Always running from, from the next thing to the next thing and just a restless wanderer. That was Cain. And it was Cain because he didn't respond and humble repentance to the convicting work of God's Word. Number six, I want you to see Cain's children. And the principle here is that children usually follow the path of their parents. So Adam, till the end of this chapter, you see actually Adam and Cain, you see seven generations. Adam the first, Cain is the second, all the way down uh, to Lamech and, and his descendants. And what, what's interesting here is of these five generations that are listed, Lamech is, is the one that's focused upon. And this brief lineage, what it does is, is demonstrate the, the rise of civilization, but more importantly than that, the corruption of, of the sinfulness of Cain's descendants. What we find here is that they're listed... From, from Cain and, and his children all the way down, verse 19, to Lamech. And Lamech has two wives. And from his, his two wives, he has three sons and a daughter. And his sons were known for their cultural, occupational, and technological advances. One son was really the, the founding father of agriculture. The, the other one was the, uh, the, the founder of all that is musical and the other one was the founder of what we could think of as modern technology, making tools out, out of metal and bronze. However, the focus is not on, on, on their cultural advancements. And even Lamech, who is, or excuse me, Cain, who is said to have built a city. So there's the, the rise of civilization. He names it after his, his son, Enoch. And then it goes down, and from his line, you see all of these accomplishments in society. But the focus is really on the depravity of those in the line of Cain, the descendants of Cain. First of all, we see Lamech, he defies God's pattern for marriage. He's the first recorded polygamist who takes two wives. And he also arrogantly boasts about murdering a young man. In fact, if you look at Verse 23, this is called by many the, the song of the sword. And Lamech said unto his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech. Okay. I just say anyone who refers to themselves in the second person is usually arrogant, right? So here, here he is singing a song or quoting 
a, a poem to them about himself, himself in the second person. Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding, a young man to my hurt. The, the point of all of this is, is that he's boasting of the fact that he has murdered a man. Here's the new normal, where violence and even murder is the norm. You know, this, this interesting part of verse 24, it says, If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, seventy and sevenfold. You remember, God said to Cain, I'm going to put a mark on you, and anyone who harms you, they're going to experience sevenfold punishment in return. Well, here, Lamech is boasting of the fact that, well, if, if Cain would be avenged sevenfold, I will be avenged seventy and sevenfold. Kenneth Matthews said that, that, that God's promise to avenge Cain's life seven times is interpreted by Lamech as a badge of honor for Cain rather than merciful provision by God for, his, for a shameful criminal. Lamech contends that if Cain's value is reprisal seven times, then his acclaimed deed merits much more. Do you see the degradation of the descendants of Cain? The, the, the corruption and the depravity of the human heart. And it reminds us that we as human beings are, are this mixture where we, by God's grace, are capable of extraordinary accomplishments. Whereas Lamech and his children and their descendants, they are known for these civilization, the, the rise of civilization, the, the, the agricultural, the musical, the technological advances. Most of all, they are known for extraordinary evil. And aren't we that way? Isn't that the normal of our lives? Haven't we all been amazed at the amazing things that human beings can accomplish, but also step back in complete and utter disbelief at the evil that human beings can bring about? Again, friends, this is the new normal. Well, last of all, I want you to see Cain's contrast. See, this whole passage is about a contrast. You see, it's primarily about Cain. It's not primarily about Abel. In fact, Abel's name is mentioned a couple times, but sometimes he's referred to as Cain's brother, your brother. So the passage is really telling us about Cain, what became of him, what, what happened to him. It's telling us the story of humanity and sin, and our turning away from God into deeper and deeper rebellion. But there's a contrast here. Cain's contrast. And the message for us today, when we see this contrast between Cain and Abel, the contrast for us is to see that there are only two kinds of children, so to speak, in the world. The children of God and the children of the devil. Those who are like Cain, those who are like Abel. So the whole passage contrasts Cain and Abel. And you see that really clearly at the beginning. That Abel was a, a keeper of sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. They both bring an offering. One brings of the fruit of the ground, which is Cain. Abel brings the firstling of the flock. Cain's offering is rejected. Abel's offering is accepted. Cain is unrighteous in murdering his brother. 
Hebrews tells us that Abel is righteous and that his righteous blood cries out from the ground. And this contrast also culminates in the fact that that the passage follows the storyline of Cain up until the very end. We learn about his sons and his grandsons and his great-grandsons. The very end of the chapter, the focus shifts from being over here about Cain's line. And it goes all the way back over and it tells us about a different line. Look at this as we come to a close here. Verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again. She bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, she said, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth and to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Cain's descendants are known for their cultural advancements, but of their corruption and depravity of their hearts. Whereas Seth's descendants... Verse 24 or verse 25 and 26. They're known for calling on the name of the Lord. Surely this is indicating worship, devotion, dependence upon God. It's indicating prayer, that seeking God. And so even this small clue, it's it's pointing us. In fact, what you're going to notice through this study of Genesis is that Genesis gives us in seed form what the rest of the Bible produces in full harvest for us. What it's showing us here is the the line of two different men, both sons of Adam, Cain and now Seth in Abel's place. Cain and his descendants turn away from the Lord in greater rebellion, whereas Seth's descendants call on the name of the Lord. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 says, In this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain. Verse 12, 1 John 3, 12. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. Wherefore he slew him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Tells us about two different kinds of children. You see, there are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who are children of God. Children of God are those who have called and do call upon the name of the Lord. Romans 10 verse 9 through 13 tells us that that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so certainly there is that initial calling upon the name of the Lord for the salvation and forgiveness of sin. But it begins a life of depending upon God, of calling upon His name, of seeking after Him. You see, God's people are those who call upon His name. The children of the devil, those are the ones that are angry at the commands of God. You see, Cain wasn't dejected because he was somehow broken over his sin. But he was angry over the fact that that God had established some kind of structure. He's he's established some way in which 
Cain's offering wasn't accepted, that, that God had established his own measurements and evaluations, his own commands. That's what he's angry about. You see, the children of the devil are those that are angry at God who expects them to live a certain way and has issued commands for them to obey. And so they defy those commands, rebelling against him, and they live after their own desires. So I wonder, are you a children? Are you a child of God? Or are you a child of the devil? You see, we're, we're born into this life as children of the devil. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, that we are by nature the children of disobedience. And we follow after the voice of the devil. That's why Jesus said in John 8 to the religious Pharisees of the day, you are of your father, the devil. And it, the only way that we become true children of God is through the new birth, by repentance, by faith in Christ. Uh, John chapter 1 uh, gives us the answer to this. Let me read it to you. I love this passage. John 1 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we have to be born of God. And we're only born of God by receiving Christ, by believing on his name. That's how we become the children of God. So to put it frankly, friends, we begin this life children of Cain, with our hearts being formed and fashioned after his, children of disobedience, through faith in Jesus Christ and turning from our sins and calling upon the name of the Lord, we become children of God. You know, sometimes you look at passages like Genesis 4 and you're trying to figure out what all this really means for us today. It's written so long ago. But really, Genesis 4 is so meaningful for us. And we have this indication of a man named Seth at the end of Genesis 4. We don't know a lot about Seth. But we know that he and his line of descendants begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And when you come to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 3, uh, the, the, the lineage, the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ is given, kind of in reverse order, beginning with Jesus and kind of working backwards. And I love this. It, it talks about in, in Luke 3, verse 37, which was of the son of Methuselah, which was of the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared, which was the son of Meleel, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enosh, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. You see, the reason why this is important is because the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, who was just as much human as we are, came from a line of descendants that was traced all the way back to Seth. From Seth, Adam. Adam, God. What does this say to us? Friends, this is an incredible thing. It reminds us of what the Lord told Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15, of the seed of the woman, the serpent's head would be crushed. 
And how meaningful that when, when, when Eve gives birth to Seth, she says, God has given me another seed. And from that seed comes the seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only through him that we have victory over the serpent. I mentioned earlier that Cain had a choice and you have a choice. That you can either be continue in sin and be mastered by it and ultimately be destroyed by it, or you can overcome sin. You can't overcome sin in and of yourself, but you can overcome sin by putting your trust in the seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray today that if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, that you will do that even today. That you will find life in Him. And for those of us who know Christ, who have trusted in Him, what's the, what's the message for us today? Well, it's the same thing that 1 John 3 was telling us, that the Apostle John was using Cain's example, saying don't let that same kind of spirit be found in us, but rather to love one another. Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? All through the Gospels we find, yes, we are our brother's keeper. That we are to love one another as God has loved us. So we, may we be like the Lord Jesus Christ in that. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us to learn these truths from this story. That we see the depravity of our own human hearts. That at times we find those same desires in us that we see here in Cain. Angry, Lord, at your commands. Bitterness and resentfulness about the, the goodness that we see in others. But Lord, may we crucify those evil desires. And embrace your love for others. Lord, if there's any watching this message today who have never turned to you and experienced what it is to be a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that today they would see that only through Christ is there victory over sin, freedom from the restless wandering that sin has taken us into. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.